over 10,000 years ago, local glaciers receded north, leaving behind rolling hills, wetlands, Lake Michigan, and the Dunes Ridgeline. Travel to a place where mountains are made of sand, and the oceans have no salt. Create your next memory at Indiana Dunes. A treasure trove of nature's wonder in northwest Indiana, the Dunes. Lorelei Weimer's stomping grounds. It's where she grew up and is now in charge of Indiana's first and only national park. Lorelei Weimer, the guiding light, a woman in charge of part of her DNA, the Indiana Dunes National Park. She's my guest this week on the Business and Beyond podcast. Our focus on this, the 99th episode of the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC, an Indiana natural treasure and a Hoosier with roots deeply tied to it. My guest this week, Porter County's Lorelai Weimer, Chesterton High School and Purdue University graduate and the woman in charge at the Indiana Dunes National Park, a destination with a critical role in Indiana's mission to drive big tourism dollars into the state. In Indiana, big thrills are a state tradition. There's more to discover in Indiana. Get in at visitindiana.com. Lorelai Weimer has been with the Indiana Dunes for more than three decades, now serving as executive director of Indiana Dunes Tourism. And I'm really pleased to be joined on the podcast this week by Lorelai Weimer, who is the president and CEO of Indiana Dunes Tourism in Northwest Indiana, the entity that really oversees uh, a lot of folks coming into the region, in and out, seeing the great things that Northwest Indiana has to uh, offer. Lorelai, great to have you on the podcast. It's been a while since we had you on the TV show. How are things? You know what? Uh, I think it's been four years, uh, Gary, since you and I last talked, and uh, there's been a lot of changes in our destination. Uh, the biggest one, as you know, is the National Park, uh, became a national park yeah. versus just being a national lakeshore. So it's amazing what can take place in four years since you've talked to somebody. Yeah, I was going to say four years. In some ways, it seems like it hasn't been that long. Other ways, other ways, maybe it does. But such a significant milestone to get that national park designation. And the unfortunate thing is, you got the national park designation, and then almost immediately went into the pandemic, so you had a real challenge there. Yeah. So you know, uh, February fifteenth, two thousand and nineteen, is when we officially became a national park. You know, we weren't expecting this, Gary. This was a really, truly a gift from Congressman Pete Visklowski. And I remember the day that they walked in and said, we're a national park. And then the second question that came out of everybody's mouth to all of us is, what does that mean? And what does that mean in terms of visitation? What does that mean in terms of economic impact? And our response back then was, we have no idea. Like, literally, we had no idea. So that's February 19th, 2019. We did know that our visitation at the visitor center, that was one of the quickest ways that we could kind of determine what was the impact. And we went from an average about 100,000 all of a sudden overnight to 172 or 73,000 visitors, an 83% increase. Wow. So that was an indicator that this is significant. And so, you know, we're, we're still in the, we had a lot of uh, media coverage from the moment it happened. We had this first big round of media coverage in the winter of 2019. 
And then all of a sudden, the travel season hit us and another big round of media coverage. So we weren't expecting, and it wasn't just national coverage, it went even international. So then literally March 13th or March 14th of 2020, we're literally shutting down the visitor center because of COVID. And, you know, it's literally a year to almost a month that, you know, we now are literally closing down and we don't know what the future is just like anybody else. We don't know what the future is for our destination. What shocked us was we weren't expecting the one thing you could do safely that they deemed safe was uh, being outdoors. And so Chicago closed their beaches, Michigan closed their beaches. And guess what? We didn't. (laughs) And we just had we had more visitors in 2020 than we had in 2019. So that kind of gives you a quick look, you know, in those two years of what happened. Yeah, I want to ask you a little bit more about that because those are challenging times. You were very aggressive, did some creative things to get through the the pandemic. But but to back up, that designation as a national park uh, was such a big deal. And it certainly didn't happen overnight. You mentioned former Congressman Pete Vizclosky, who I know worked very hard on that. Talk about the process, how long it took and how much effort it took to get that national park designation. You know, it really did. I know, I think Pete had been working on it for about 20 years. Um, In in fact, I have a little clip of one of my state of tourism, which was in 2018. And we knew that he'd been really pushing hard. And you hear me saying in that clip, we are so deserving of this title, which had not happened yet. And um, I think what was happening is he was going through this process like you would normally go through and he's just not getting it accomplished. And then in 2019, I don't know if you remember, we had the government shut down because of a budget issue. And I think he realized that he was retiring. And so he was able to quickly get that into the budget. So I think, you know, he's like, hey, I tried this one process for 20 years, didn't work. I've got to get this done. And so he was able to get it done. You know, one of the things that I was saying in 2018 is that there were critics that said we weren't deserving of that title. And I'll tell you, Gary, if we are totally deserving of this title, when you look at our visitation and then you look at the biodiversity of our park, I know we're an urban park. We're smaller than a lot of the like the Yellowstones and the Yosemite, but we are without question where we were deserving of this and we should have gotten it a long time ago. Yeah, interesting. Uh, so back to the pandemic, you get this national park designation and then almost immediately you're into the pandemic, which no one knew what to expect, what mm-hmm. to do, how to react. Talk about kind of the strategy or, or kind of the thought process as you address the, uh, the pandemic uh, several years ago in the beginning. Yeah. So, you know, we were shut down. We weren't allowed to open the visitor center legally till uh, the middle of June. We felt it was important, Gary, that we got the visitor center open. We wanted to keep our staff safe as well as the visitors. So we had a really strong plan put in place. But, you know, we were we were out there the moment we were allowed to open, like on June 15th or 16th, our doors were open and we worked with the National Park. Like everybody, there was no uh, there's no playbook. So we were looking to the National Park and the National Park, basically every park was on their own, Gary, to figure this out. So across the country, some visitor centers didn't open. And mm-hmm. we, we were probably one of the first ones that were pretty aggressive um, in getting open. And one of the things that was driving that is I would be one of the f- only people in the visitor center just to make sure everything was going OK. I'd be here on the weekends and we had our parking lot was full. Wow. Visitors were coming in April. The state park was buzzing. It's like 40 degrees. And so we realized that people had to get out of their houses and they were looking to us to provide that. So we wanted to make sure that people knew we were open, but we wanted them to be safe. And then we also started trying to figure out 
other safe activities that were outdoor, like we did a flower quest, our Beyond the Beach Discovery Trail. So we're trying to come up with activities um, that were going to be safe. And then, of course, trying to encourage people to get back to buying food from our restaurants, staying at our hotels, but, you know, being safe and so forth. Now, we did encounter one issue that we weren't expecting. So a little bit probably around May, getting close to June, um, I got a call from the National Park that we were having some issues with some of the the visitors that were coming in and they weren't good issues. Uh-huh. And they were being overrun by some of the visitors and their their staff couldn't, their law enforcement couldn't keep up with it. So they reached out to us and said, hey, Lorelai, we need help. And so we were able to engage police from all over Porter County, as well as LaPorte County. And we're really able to kind of crack down on that. The last thing we wanted to be known for is um, a destination that has issues. You know, we're, we're a family destination and and some of the things that were happening, we had to put a stop to it. So it's amazing how people will come together to help each other out. It was from the state police was part of that to the sheriff's department to local police department. So pretty exciting that when you need help and you 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 ask for it, we were able to get it and get it pretty much stopped pretty quickly. Yeah. And you think about the impact and you mentioned the state park. I think there's maybe some confusion, misunderstanding. You've got the national park, but also the state park there as well. We do. And a lot of people don't know that it's one destination, but two different park systems. So I like to remind people that the state park is actually in the middle of the dunes and it's surrounded by the national park. But to be clear, the state park is operated by the state of Indiana, the Department of Natural Resources, and the national park is run by the Indiana Dunes National Park um, Service. They are Their rules are different. One's federal, one's state, and they both have different fees. And it's really important to understand if you buy a pass or a one-day pass to get into the state park, it's not going to get you into the national park and vice versa. You know, we talked about, is there a way to to have a combined pass? And you're, you're dealing with two different uh, governments. So it's a lot more challenging than you realize. So we're just trying to make sure we educate people about the two different parks, as well as the different fee systems. Give, give people an idea, if you would, Lorelai, about what they can expect when they visit. I think everyone's heard of the uh, Indiana Dunes. And I don't know that everyone has necessarily been there or really experienced it, uh, certainly not since the National Park designation. How would you describe it? Because it is truly an amazing natural resource right here in the state of Indiana. Yeah. So one of the things we realized, uh, Gary, pretty early on is when we became a national park, people that have the national parks on their bucket list, now we're on their bucket list. And because they had never heard, many of them had never heard of us before, So you're right. They do not know what to expect. So we went from before the name change being more of a beach destination. And and don't get me wrong, we have wonderful beaches and we're still a beach destination. But this new visitor that has us on their bucket list, they want more of that national park experience, which we can offer up. So one of the things that you're seeing is um, they want that hiking experience and we have ample hiking. We are seventh in the nation out of 421 national park units in, in biodiversity. Wow. So we are the crossroads to biodiversity in our national parks. So you're going to, we have more unique biodiversity than they have at Yellowstone National Park. So just, it's a really rich experience. And that's why I was telling you we're so deserving of this title. But really what we've seen is visitors are staying longer. They realize this is not a couple hour experience that like you have to be here for several days. 
Um, they're coming in as early as March and they're staying as late as October, November. So that tells you it's not just that beach experience, which is in the core summer. And then um, their hiking has just totally increased because they're not just about the beaches. They want to get deeper into the national park and state park and learn more about the dunes themselves. Economic impact. Certainly tourism is such a big economic driver in the state of Indiana. And if you zero in on Northwest Indiana and the, and the dunes, that, that's the case there. Talk about the economic impact that tourism has, how important it is on the regional economy. So we, we do an economic impact study every other year. But what we did was we, took, we did one in 2019 to make sure we captured how did the name change make a difference, right? Then when 2020 came, we did another one back to back because we wanted to know what did the pandemic do to us. And then we did one in 2021 just to see what does recovery look like. So going into the pandemic, we were bringing in $539 million because of the the Indiana Dunes, um, highest year ever. 6.3 million visitors coming to the destination. The 4, 4 million is coming from the dunes themselves. So that just tells you the power of the Indiana Dunes. We lost um, in 2020 because of the pandemic. We lost almost $72 million. However, we fared much better than the rest of the country, significantly better than the rest of the country because of the Indiana Dunes. I mean, to be honest with you, Gary, the dunes is what caused us to get through this pandemic. If we didn't have the dunes, it'd have been a different story. Uh, interesting. Uh, those are those are our big numbers, uh, to be sure. As you look at efforts to promote, and that's always a uh, you know, a challenge for the state of Indiana to get that funding to promote what we have here. Is you sense that's getting that's getting any better? From the state level, no. Um, I think they're really working hard, and I think um, we recognize that the state plays a critical role because when visitors are first trying to figure out where they want to go, they start looking at on that larger level. It's like, what state do I want to go to? And it is so critical for the state to be ahead of that to get that overall brand on Indiana. And then once they decide, hey, I want to go to Indiana, then where within Indiana do I want to go? And that's where we kind of start to come in with our own destination. But the state is really critical. And, you know, we've been at the bottom for so long out of the 50 states. And I think I think the thing that we have got to look at in Indiana is when you give money to state tourism, you cannot look at it as an expense. You have got to look at it as an investment because that's exactly what it is. You're investing and that money's going to come back in visitor spending. Yeah. Do you sense that the creation of the Indiana Destination Development Corporation and still in its early, fairly early stages is something that will change that? I know I think they're going to go back to the legislature budget writing session this year and I think ask for money or make or make the case for that. But do you think the IDDC crafted kind of in the, in the same form as the Indiana Economic Development Corporation, quasi-public-private? Is that it? since that'll be a good thing? I, I do think so. And I think they just hit a home run with their In Indiana campaign. I think, you know, they put a lot of work into that and just how it, it how we all can partner with that, right? It, I call it a brand. I, I think they called it yeah. something different, but I do believe for, for lack of a better word, it is the branding that they've done. And I think it just works not only so well in tourism, but it works outside of tourism. So first of all, huge kudos for them. And, and, and they know they worked with a week create. And so just huge mm-hmm. kudos on that. But I do think that they're going to be at the state house asking for more money. And I really do hope that this is the year that they're going to realize that we've got to start properly funding. 
when you look at the the states around us and what they're investing in tourism, yeah, like they get it, right? They understand and they understand that, you know, we're the front door to to traditional economic development. So if you don't want to come here as a visitor, you certainly aren't going to want to come here as a resident or bring your business here. It all starts with that desire to be here as a visitor. And then it's like, oh my gosh, this is a great place. Now I can see myself moving here or I can also see myself putting my business here. But if you have no desire to come as a visitor, I don't know why you'd be coming for you yeah. know, to move here or to put your business here. Well, and, and along those lines, that's been interesting to me to watch what's happening in Northwest Indiana. A number of big projects, the South Shore and the double track and the extension of the uh, South Shore rail line been talked about for so many decades. It's happening now. Communities up there, multiple communities making quality of life. Uh, improvements and certainly the tourism and the assets that are up there are part of that equation. And, and there are statistics that show that folks are, folks are moving in. Uh, some mm-hmm. folks coming across from Illinois, maybe they work in downtown Chicago, want to live in Northwest Indiana. Do you sense that quality of life quotient that the Dunes is a part of is having an impact? I do think so. I think, you know, we are working with Purdue University in terms of sustainability. And not only just sustainability for the dunes, because we realize that you can you can have too much tourism. We got to make sure we protect the dunes. And so we're, we have a campaign called Love the Dunes Like You Mean It. But we want this to go beyond that. And we want to start seeing our communities really embrace the sustainability, be more green focused in their development. So uh, my vice president, Christine, is working with a lot of the regional economic development folks, specifically on TODs, you know, um, in terms of walkable communities. You know, there's some great opportunities along the South Shore line where you can come, stay the night, potentially stay the night, right? Yeah. And then walk to the dunes and really kind of having those types of discussions. So I do think the dunes is a critical part of that and a critical part of that thinking. So, and it's exciting to see that that level of thinking is happening throughout Northwest Indiana. Yeah. And there seems to be, I know there's development uh, the trail system up there, you know, connectivity is so important in this uh, this day and age. And as, as folks try to attract, communities, try to attract residents, talent, uh, businesses, connectivity is important. And, and there's a trail system up there that really is is emerging. Yes, and that is, you know, so the visitor center. We're located right outside the state park, where the official visitor center. Um, our the county owns the building, but the national park leases space from us. So we have the Dunes Kankakee Trail that literally takes you from the visitor center to the state park, but then they're working on the Marquette Trail. And there's uh, that'll take you from Illinois all the way to the state of Michigan. And there's a critical component in our section, which is called the Calumet. And uh, I know our county is putting the funding together for that, and they're working with the National Park. But you're, you're, you're right, that trail segment is so critical because people are wanting that alternative transportation. And we, so that's why, <laughs> believe it or not, uh, last year in November, uh, people thought we were probably crazy. We bought a bike rental business ah. and we're renting bikes from the visitor center. And we know that uh, when that east-west section gets done um, near the Dunes Kankakee Trail, not only will they be able to go to the state park, which they can do now, but they'll also be able to go to the national park on that trail as well. Very good. We have much more ahead with Lorelai Weimer. Talk a little bit more about uh, tourism and tourism development in Northwest Indiana, how she got into the tourism business in the first place. That's when the Business and Beyond podcast returns.
At PNC Bank, we're committed to making a difference in the lives of our customers and communities by helping them move forward financially. As a Main Street Bank, we try to do right by our customers with every encounter. Our local teams offer personalized financial advice to help guide you in making the best decision. We're proud to be part of your community. PNC Bank. See how we can make a difference for you at PNC.com. Copyright 2022, the PNC Financial Services Group, Bank. All rights reserved. Welcome back to Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. My guest this week is Lorelai Weimer. She is the president and CEO of Indiana Dunes Tourism, a, a, a real driver for tourism and uh, big economic impact in Northwest Indiana. And Lorelai, you, uh, how did you get into the, the tourism? Is this something you've always wanted to do? Yes, believe it or not, my uh, degree is in hospitality management, but I actually focused on tourism management. Interesting. And I graduated from Purdue. And so um, when I was uh, just getting ready to graduate, uh, Indiana Dunes Tourism was looking for an intern. And my professor tapped me and said, I think you're a perfect fit. Um, It was supposed to be a three-year contract. And uh, that was in 1991. So uh, that three-year contract has turned into a few years. Yeah, that's good. And you're a native, right, of, of Northwest Indiana? I am. I am a native of Porter County. And I think that's what makes this job even more special to me because it's you're promoting your own home area. And it's just there's another level to that when you have that stronger connection. Not saying that I couldn't do it in another area, but there's just something special about our area. And the fact that I'm from here makes it even more special. How is uh, How would you characterize the area now, the region now, compared to when you were growing up, let's see, how 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 would you describe uh, the changes? You know, you're just seeing a lot more focus on our communities um, to see what's going on in the city of Valparaiso, what, what Mayor Costas and Mayor Murphy did with Valparaiso, just a much more focus back on those downtowns. And, you know, those downtowns are the heart of the community. So it's just really good to see that focus where, you know, when I was growing up, everything was like the new uh the new little uh, malls and the big malls had come in and your downtowns weren't the focus any longer. And to see that all that focus is back on the heart of those communities, that's probably been the biggest change that I've seen, which is really exciting. And then I think the other thing is just the investment in our park departments, the investment in trails, I think really that overall well-being and healthy lifestyle. So I think that's another big change. Do you sense this focus that uh, cities and towns states uh, have on on quality of life, quality of place, that really plays in well with tourism and and uh, and your business, because that adds to that quality of place, benefiting from that. Absolutely. You know, one of the things is when a visitor travels, you know, they don't want to go to a place that's what they have in their own backyard. They're looking for something unique and different. And then I think that's what the downtowns have to offer. You know, what started happening with the malls is you'd go to one mall and another mall, and they all had the same stores. But when you go into a downtown, the restaurants are unique. They're, they're local restaurants. They're local retail shops. And that's what people are looking for. They want to they want to see what's unique into your area. Like, you can't duplicate the dunes, right? Those are, those are ours. Those are yeah. not man-made. And uh, you can't duplicate Lake Michigan. But a lot of our, our restaurants and those local restaurants, you can't duplicate either because they're, they're unique to our area. And And I think the other thing that I love about our area is we literally have the steel industry, which is the, you know, industrial side of our Mm -hmm. our culture working side by side with this unique environment. So it's really cool to see those two together. I think those are a pretty cool story in and of themselves, that they're both side by side and how they're coexisting. 
What challenges do you see, uh, Loreline? What keeps you up at night? I don't know erosion certainly is a, an issue that you've been dealing with there. What are the what are the challenges or issues, hurdles you see with blower? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is first of all, I think industry and um, the environment can continue to work uh, side by side. But we actually do this thing called Tourism Sentiment in- Index. It's a it's an index around the world that measures destinations based on the conversations taking place digitally. So they literally are monitoring millions of destinations. And one of the things that we were able to see is when we've had chemical spills into Lake Michigan, you literally see our, our tourism score plummet because of all the negative comments mm-hmm. that are being made. So I think that's the thing that concerns me the most, that we have got to understand that we've got to protect that Lake Michigan. We've got to protect Lake Michigan. We've got to keep that water quality there. We've just got to make sure we're doing our our part on the environmental side. But just to give you a statistic that's mind-blowing, in the second quarter of 2022, they are literally monitoring, Tourism Sentiment Index is monitoring 21,000 destinations globally. We were ranked 57th in the world in terms of the the Tourism Index, in terms of of our positive, the positive amount of conversations taking place about our destination. We beat out big beaches. I mean, we beat out, I think it was um, Santa Barbara, California, we beat out. So that tells you how special we are. But what's concerning is that can change on a dime in terms of if you have something pretty traumatic that takes place within your destination. And it could be anything, right? It could be a devastating, like in Florida, it's the hurricanes. So there's a lot of things that can impact it. And so those are probably the things that concerns me the most, that we've got to protect what we have. Back to your earlier point, which I find interesting, is that that collaboration, cooperation between uh, between business, big business, and industry, and nature, if you will, or tourism, is, is strong. Whereas uh, maybe a number of years ago it wasn't as strong, but that's uh, it's a good it's a good relationship now, and that I think no doubt will yield uh, some positive results. Absolutely, and I think if we all work together, I think you know. Um, we know that the steel industry is a critical part of our in, our, our our economy. Um, so many of us have worked there. My my dad worked there. I worked there in, in in college, and so it just to be able to show that story, that steel and sand story, is pretty good. We right before the pandemic, we were ready to go market and start having uh, cruises coming to the port of Indiana. And I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah. You remember that? Yes. We were like, literally, we're going to be marketing it at the shows, the cruise shows to try to get cruises to want to come here. And the stories were going to be, the whole thing was about steel and sand. Um, And so we were really excited, except for the fact that, you know, obviously the pandemic took a hit pretty hard on the, on the cruise industry. So I don't, um, I think we're going to eventually dust that off and get that going again, because I think we're about the only port in this, the only state that doesn't have a, a cruise port um, in yeah. uh, the the Great Lakes. Interesting. So, are you back to pre-pandemic levels? How how, how, how would you assess? This? Yeah, believe it or not, um, in 2021 we were already past the 219, um, and that was our benchmark. 2019 was the benchmark because that's when we became a national park. Uh, this year has been the big year where we've truly seen the impact of the national park. So mm-hmm. uh, this will be a record-breaking year. We are um, our record. In 2019, in the visitor center only, was 170, like 72, 73,000 people. We're already over 180,000. Wow. And then yeah. just to give you a perspective on the dunes really quickly, in 2014, there was 2.7 million visitors to the state and national park together. 
2018, it was 3.2 million. 2019, it went to 3.6 million. In 2020, visitation went up to 4.2 million. And in 2021, it was 5 million. We were the second national park out of the National Park 63, second most visited national park in the country at 5 million. We were tied with Zion for that position and Great Smoky Mountain beat us. And just to give you a perspective, we had from 2015 to 2021, in terms of our visitation, we increased by 72.3%, which is amazing. The next one was Acadia at 44.7%. So I think that really tells the story, Gary, of what what took place in our destination. And that, and it was a combination, to be honest with you. It was a combination of the national park name change with the pandemic because people rediscovered the outdoors because of the pandemic. Those are some amazing numbers. Any organization is always looking ahead. Uh, such a positive base you have there you're talking about. As you look to the future, uh, you know, a few years out, what can you envision the dunes, the state park, the national park, certainly that area becoming? You know, I think what we're going to do is uh, do more educational programming. We're really wanting to, to really de- um, elevate um, outdoor recreation. One of the things that we have an opportunity on, and that is having more outfitters. We just don't have the outfitters. So you can kayak here, but you got to bring your own kayak, right? So we want to do more in that area. The other area that we think that is a great opportunity, and we don't talk about this much, is on the north end of the destination is Lake Michigan. But on the southern part of our destination is the Kankakee River. And that we want to see more effort put towards the Kankakee. And we're in those we're in those talks right now, more access, more opportunities to put your kayaks and canoes and and into the into the Kankakee and have a place to take it out. So right now, that to me is really a, a real golden opportunity that we want to start to focus on. Tourism is such an important part of the Indiana economy. Lorelai Weiber, the president and CEO of Indiana Dunes Tourism. It's been a real treat to catch up. Uh, with you and here's some really, really strong numbers from Northwest Indiana. Please keep us posted. I look forward to having you on a TV show as well. And I wish you nothing but uh, continued success. Well, I appreciate it. And we always appreciate your support and your enthusiasm for what we do. It's uh, I think you you really understand the value of tourism and that is so refreshing. Very good. Lorelai Weimer, president and CEO of Indiana Dunes Tourism. My guest this week on the Business and Beyond podcast, Presented by PNC, it's a weekly conversation with achievers in business, sports, entertainment, and beyond. And you can download all of our episodes and also get Indiana Business News 24-7. All you have to do is go to InsideIndianaBusiness.com. I'm Gary Dick. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.